0: For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit JDPower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or SleepNumber.com. You know, the weather's getting warmer. So I, for one, am ready to say goodbye to my jackets and my sweaters and hello to shorts and tees.
1: I'm right there with you, Kate.
0: And you know what I actually, actually, I donned double quince the other night. I've got what? to tell you. Okay. Yeah. This is what's so great about Quince because I feel like I have really been able to update my wardrobe like for the long haul without spending a fortune. I wore a gorgeous white tee, like a simple, perfect white cotton t-shirt from mm. Quince, but it was a little chilly out. So I threw on my cashmere hoodie also from Quince. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash forever35 for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's dot com slash forever35 to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash forever35. Hello and welcome to Forever 35, a podcast about the things we do to take care of ourselves. I'm Kate
1: Spencer. And I am Dori Shafrir. And we are not experts. No, but we are two friends who like to talk a lot about serums. Hey, babies.
0: Welcome to the show. Friendly (laughs) reminder. Bringing back the babies. Bringing it back. Bringing back, hey, babies. You know? Feeling a little spicy. I've had two cups of chai tea. So I Whee! am. <laughs> I'm a little high on life right now. Anything you can visit could our website. happen. Anything could happen. Our website, Forever35podcast.com, for links to everything we mention on the show. Instagram forever35podcast is where you're going to find us mostly on social media. Of course, there is a Forever 35 Facebook group, an amazing community there with a password of serums. You can shop our favorite curated products at shopmy.us slash forever35. And you can sign up for the Forever 35 newsletter at forever35podcast.com slash newsletter.
1: Um, you can also call or text us at 781-591-0390. And our email is forever35 podcast at gmail.com. Kate, do people still text us eggplant emojis, or is that kind of not a thing anymore? Oh, we still get we still get them.
0: Yeah, we do. I mean, if you were gonna text us and you were not gonna include one, I would say now is the time to to spice things up with an eggplant emoji. But yes, people still do text them.
1: Okay, I was just curious. Yeah, I'm um, trying. I'm
0: I'm looking right now. I'm just seeing if anybody has uh, texted one recently. Here's one. Yep, here's one right here.
1: <laughs> there there we you go. go. Yep. Wow. Yep. Um, Kate.
0: Oh, hi. Yes. Hi.
1: We've been having a discussion, I feel like, over text that I see you now want to bring to the rest of the class. Yes, teacher. I
0: (laughs) do. Okay. Should we just talk about how this unfolded, this conversation?
2: Yes. Okay. Let's do it. Okay. So
0: a a few days ago, um, a very dear old friend of mine who is on the board for a nonprofit in Boston posted that her organization had been given a charity bib for the Boston Marathon and they were looking to fill the spot. And it meant you would you raise money for the organization, um, you make a commitment to raise a certain amount of money, and you run the Boston Marathon. As discussed on this podcast, I, I don't love running, but I've always wanted to run the Boston Marathon. And if you have never been to the Boston Marathon. I think it's hard to kind of understand the emotional experience of it. But mm. it went through my, you know, as Dorian and I have discussed, it happens on Patriots Day in Massachusetts. It's a day off that the entire state is off. So everybody has this day off. Most people, I shouldn't say everybody. And the marathon happens on this day. And marathon runs through the town that I grew up in, right through the town. So we would walk down and every year we would go to the marathon and Every year my mom would get excited because the doctor who delivered me would run by us. And like it's it's extremely emotional mm. and moving. Especially if, if you're me, a person who's moved at everything. But I find the Boston <laughs> Marathon to be extremely moving. And it's something I've always wanted to do, even though I don't, I'm not like a passionate runner. And I'm also a slow runner. Okay, so that's the backstory. So my friend posted, you know, looking for this to fill this spot and I and I was like, oh, should I do it? Should I do it? Should I do it? Because I've always wanted to do it. I would like to do it for charity. I'm never going to qualify because I don't I'm not I'm just not um and so I would do it through charity. And so I had like 48 hours of trying to decide if I should run the Boston Marathon. And I decided not to.
1: Take us through right like Take us through all of your like thought processes. When she posted this,
0: I was immediately like, I should do this. I've always wanted to do it. It's a sign. Like I'm kind of having this weird midlife crisis, which I'll get into. And I was just like, you know what? Fuck it. I should, I should do it. I've trained. I've done three half marathons. I do know how to train for a longer race. My kids are older. Like I just, I live in California where the climate's better. And then I like went search. I thought about like, you know this is now getting really kind of wooey but like i thought when my mom got cancer i fundraised and raised money for mass general hospital just on my own and it was very moving and i it was this whole thing and it, it was a big part of like how i coped with my mom dying so that always resonates and i thought about my friend sam who's no longer alive and she and i used to run together and i was like i should do this you know for sam and then i went into the fish <laughs> the fish running group that I'm in on Facebook. And I looked up Boston marathon and this guy had been posting his runs. And then I, I like Googled him and then I found out he had died last year while going on a run. And I got like really emo I started just thinking about all these people who like would do it if they could, you know, like, I mean, again, mm. not pr- approaching this with reason, really approaching it from an emotional standpoint. Mm-hmm. So, Thinking of that, like kind of looking at these signs, I was like, yes, I should do it. And then I really took a step back. Well, also, then I I texted my two number one, or I spoke to my two main life coaches, my husband and my podcast partner, who are essentially of the same brain. That's like, <laughs> a scary thought. <laughs> it is, but I mean, I'm basically your husband. I'm like your husband. I know. It's so weird. It's, it's weird. It's weird how it's like this. <laughs> But you both had kind of the same. Neither of you were like, "Yes, the universe is telling you to run," <laughs> which other people did say. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, so many people were like, uh, pra- uh, like quoted Gretchen Rubin. I mean, I then what? of course took it to Instagram. Yeah.
1: Oh my god, this is so interesting because I will. Yes. I will once you're done. I will tell you what was going through my head.
0: Yes. So Anthony, I was like, should I run the Boston Marathon? And Anthony was like, no. You're so busy. You're writing another, you're working on another book. You've got so much going on. I know how busy you are. Like, no, what he was just straight up. Like, no. And then I was like, I know I'll text Dory. She'll tell me to do it. And Dory's response was just, I think if you can run four runs a week, then you can like your response was just very, (laughs) not filled with any emotions. Just very direct. which i which i was like great and then i <laughs> reached out to some more of my like you know oh woo God. friends who were a bit more like <laughs> do it oh, so the universe is telling you <laughs> a lot of the uni- i wanted i wanted to really go with the universe is telling me but also i think that i i got i received so many interesting responses on instagram so many varied responses from people about like runners, non-runners, how people find joy, how they decide about how they want to spend their time. like It was actually really um, moving because they don't know me, Mm. most of the people who responded. And so it was kind of interesting to get their insight. But ultimately, I felt like I need a beat to really think about what it would entail to not just train for a marathon, but to fundraise in a meaningful way, like to really be able to throw myself into fundraising. Cause I think that's, that's such an important part of it when you do it with a organization, right? Like you are representing them and you are investing time and really trying to raise money for that organization. And I just didn't know if I could, I knew I could like do it, but it just felt like a lot. So I, I took a step back and really thought about it and I'm not doing it. Um, but that has led me to kind of have like a weird, I think I'm in the middle of like a little bit of a midlife crisis, Mm. but I don't know what about, I just feel untethered. And there is a, and the thing with running is that I fucking hate it, but then there's a part of me that wants to do it. Mm. And I think it's just the, I think it's the structure. I think it's the challenge. I think it's the camaraderie and the emotion. Mm-hmm. So what I have, what I have kind of decided to do is to train. I ran, I ran like, you know, a couple miles for the last couple of days and like I can definitely probably run three miles. I run walk number one to prevent injury. I do a run walk interval, um, kind of thing. I think I can run a 5K pretty easily. So I've decided to train for a 5K in January and then maybe run a half marathon in May here in Southern California. Mm -hmm. And if I'm still feeling it, then I will have given myself the physical time to prepare my body. And then I will look into applying for a charity bib for the Boston Marathon. So I was like, I need to not, as impulsive as I always am, I'm a very impulsive person. It's how I've ended up with the pets that I have. It's how I live my life. How I ended up with this podcast, honestly, just an impulsive text to Dory, and here I am. So, but I I feel like that's the right decision for me. Now, am I allowed to say what came out in our conversation
1: that you shared? Oh, sure. Yes.
0: (laughs) So, so, as I am texting Dory, do I run this marathon? Blah, blah, blah. I just get this text that says, now is probably a good. I should tell you that I've. Or you? How did you phrase it? You were like, I guess, is now the right time to share that I've applied to run the New York City half marathon. <laughs>
1: uh, now, uh, I this respect, so classic me. <laughs> I respect the fact
0: that we don't have to share everything with each other. We are not one person. You don't have to tell me everything you do in your life. But it really – and also, I knew it. I knew there was something afoot because you've been busy out there doing Peloton runs. And I was like, very." you talked about how exercise is feeling really good. You've been out. You've been recommending Peloton runs to me.
1: And well, that's like, just because you were thinking about training for a marathon. So I was like, is, let me is. just – tell you what I've been doing. Okay, Kate. As a person who's been thinking about running a half marathon. Here is the thing. (laughs) I did not go into my first run with the intention of running a half marathon. I legit decided I was going to start running again because I wanted to get better at tennis. And like... Mm here's the thing. I'm at, I feel like I'm at a point in my tennis game where like my strokes are pretty good and my instincts are pretty good. And the thing that, that like has, is preventing me from kind of getting better is my actual like level of fitness, Mm, which includes stamina. Yes. And, and part of that is like, running and weight training. And so I was like, well, I kind of just want to do this. Like I want to do it because I want to do it. But also like my big picture thing is like, maybe this will also help me get better at tennis. But then I did my first run walk and I was like, oh yeah, right. Your body was like, hello. Yeah. Running." Running. And I looked at races in the LA area cuz I I used to really enjoy running races. I never did them with people. I did this all on my own. I never trained with people. It was very solitary. I enjoyed that aspect of it. There's like not a ton in Los Angeles. It's not a big like race town. Like it would be like do this 10K in like Redondo Beach. And I was like, you know what? I don't feel like driving to Redondo Beach to run a 10K. Like, I just don't. Should explain that's like an hour
0: to 90 minute drive. Yeah,
1: like it's just, eh. so anyway, I was like, this is annoying. Maybe I'll just see what's going on in New York because New York has, they have New York Roadrunners, which runs the New York Marathon and then runs like many, Um, other races throughout the year. And then there's another organization that started maybe like 12 or so years ago called um, New York running club or something like that. The Harry there's the
0: Harriers,
1: New York Harriers. No. um, New York running. I don't know. Whatever. They're called something else. They have, there's another, there's another, um, Oh, NYC runs. Okay, that's okay. what it's called. NYC runs, and they do a lot of races in Brooklyn. Anyway, so between the two of them, there's like a race practically like every week. I feel like in New York, like you can just like go run a 10k in Prospect Park like anytime you want. Um, yes, there's a lot and, of that in all the yeah. parks.
0: Totally. And I was like
1: perusing the New York Road Runners website, and I was like, oh look, there's the New York Half mm-hmm, in March. Mm-hmm. And I never ran the New York half. I ran the Brooklyn half, which was very fun and ends in Coney Island. Um, But I never ran the New York half. I ran, I ran like some half marathons that just did loops around Central Park, which like <laughs> quite honestly is pretty anticlimactic. Anyway, I was like, oh, this would be fun because I don't know if I'm up for training for a whole marathon. But I could maybe I could I could train for a half marathon in March because like I do one one 30 minute walk run and suddenly I'm like I must train for a half marathon. I mean, again, <laughs> you've heard me. You relate to this. Um and then it said that the New York half is a lottery. And you can put your you know you can enter the lottery and if you get accepted then like your credit card gets charged and you're in and then they also have charity bibs for the New York half but i was like i was like okay i'm not going to think about that right now but i was like okay i'll just enter the lottery i will i will now let the universe i'm going to let the universe decide <laughs> look at now you okay okay if i'm going to do this the drawing is not until the end of november so i don't know here is what was going through my mind when you told me that you wanted to run or you were thinking about running the Boston Marathon. I thought I don't want to tell Kate not to do this because like I don't want to like quash her dreams. <laughs> <laughs> However, my concern is that She's really excited about this and I know it's something she's wanted to do for a long time. I'm sorry to be talking about you in the third person. No, um, no, no. I, I'm, this I'm, was, I'm you're, this. Just, you're hearing my thoughts. Yes, um, I'm
0: engrossed. I'm engrossed.
1: Um, but I worry that it's like she's seeing this as a sign mm-hmm, and a sign mm-hmm. is something that feels sort of random and like comes at a random time and I was like and I kind of had the same thing as Anthony. I was like, she has this book to finish. Like, she's got so much going on. She's got two kids. She's like, a lot is happening and I worry that it's actually not the right time for her and she's not. And the mm-hmm. right time is going to be when she decides it's the right time. Not when she yes. gets some random sign, but yes, like, take that nervous. agency, Kate. Wow.
0: Take control of the universe take is what control. I hear. You yes. Saying. Don't
1: let the universe buffer you around. I appreciate that. And I, that's actually kind of where I landed. Kate, this all sounds wonderful. I hear this was another concern is like, I was like, if she signs up for it and she starts training and then she isn't able to finish it, she's going to be racked with so much guilt.
0: A hundred percent. And shame. It, it should also be like, be noted that like I had COVID and I still have like lingering respiratory issues from that. Like, mm. is, is this what's best for my body? Mm. That is something to consider, mm. like not even my mental health or my brain, like is this physically do my bones and tissues and organs want this? Mm. so the- <laughs> that's a good moan, so that was another thing. I actually am kind of proud of myself for making a more calm decision because because I tend to be so impulsive um. So this feels right, and but it does all kind of tie into the fact that I do feel like I'm in a little bit of this kind of like searching for something space of life. And then I realized mm-hmm. I'm 43 and I'm like, is this when the fucking midlife crisis starts? Like, is this when I am? And also, am I just avoiding all the trauma and rage I feel about the state of the world and the state of our country? I don't know. Like, I don't know. Anyway, you know. This is a this is a pre election day podcast. We should note this will come out. Ooh, this will come out right after election day. Oh,
1: so,
0: baby, <laughs> all that's just weigh in, You know, that's weighing. Yeah. Anyway, thank you for letting me work this out on this episode of the podcast. I didn't mean to make this so focused, but it just and honestly felt good to talk through it. So thank you.
1: Oh, and I'm I hope glad, you get
0: yeah. into that half marathon. I'm excited that you're running. I'm excited for you. I think
1: it's great. Thank you. I mean, we'll see. I don't know. Could be a, you know, Dory's folly, but we'll see. All right, Kate, we need to take a break. But before that, we need to introduce our guest. So
0: our guest today is Misha Body, who is currently the Director of Wildlife Care at the San Diego Zoo. We have never had anyone on like her before.
1: No, we haven't.
0: Before we speak to her, let us tell you a little bit about Misha. In college, she had an internship at the Bronx Zoo. She has volunteered at the Mystic Aquarium. After college, she returned to the Bronx Zoo as a wild animal keeper. Then she got a certificate in conservation biology from Columbia University. And then she came out to sunny California Where she got to help develop a new department and brand new wing of the California Science Center. She was the first member of the Living Collections Department. Then she became the director of husbandry. And this all took her to the San Diego Zoo, where, as mentioned, she is the director of wildlife care. She's also a board member of the Minorities and Aquarium and Zoo Sciences. I mean, she has studied at the University of Southern California, she's got a mini MBA from Miami, Miami University a master's degree through the, quote, Advanced Inquiry Program, Miami University, San Diego Zoo Global. She is in it. She is a lifelong lover of wildlife and nature and conservation. And we just loved getting to talk to her. I mean, we covered covered everything. Like, how do you be a responsible zoo goer? What was her career Mm -hmm. path? What is her self-care? So much. Also, so much. I so did cool. ask her the hard-hitting question: "What is your favorite animal?"
1: I was so, I was so glad you asked that. <laughs> like, you know, that
0: so that's funny. an important question to ask somebody who is an expert.
1: I know, but it is like I was like, she can't say.
0: Really. I know. I understand. <laughs> that's like picking a favorite child, or yeah. yeah I get it. But I still just wanted to throw it out there. Well, look. After the break, we will be back with the wonderful Misha Body. Oh, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com/slash/host.
1: You know, Dory, we talk
0: to a lot of really fantastic, intelligent people on this podcast. But I don't know, maybe you're like us and you want to go even deeper.
1: Mm, I'd love to go deeper.
0: our listeners will get an additional fifteen percent off an annual membership at masterclass dot com slash f thirty five. Get fifteen percent off right now at masterclass dot com slash f thirty five. That's masterclass dot com slash f thirty five.
1: Kate, I feel like we are like barreling into summer.
0: It's happening so fast.
1: It is, and I feel like also with summer, just come more
0: Misha, welcome to Forever Thirty Five.
1: We're very glad to have you. I'm so happy to be here. And we're recording this on Halloween. Misha is in a very cute giraffe costume.
2: (laughs) Well, you can't you can't work at a zoo and pass up an opportunity to dress up like an animal. So yes, here I am as as a giraffe. Would you I respect go? That? Would you
0: go so far <laughs> as to go have your photo taken with the giraffes? Is that a thing that you can do as an employee of the zoo, or am I, mean, I just living a fantasy of what it is like to work at a zoo?
2: Well, any any of our guests could do the same thing. They could go straight to the giraffe habitat and get their photo taken right in right in front of those those giraffes. And we we have a premium experience as well, where you can feed the giraffes um, uh, as well, and so you can get a l- little bit closer. But uh, you know. I guess as the director of wildlife care, I could, could just say, Hey guys, let me, let me take a photo. But you know, I don't like to
1: abuse any kind of privileges like that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, Misha, we like to start our interviews by asking our guests about a self-care practice that they have. So we're wondering what is yours? Mm. You know, um, uh, self care is a really
2: really important topic and and I I don't know that I could pick just one strategy to talk about um but I will say that uh, despite the fact that I I live in California and we've been experiencing a drought for a very very long time um during the height of the pandemic especially the thing that I really found that was My kind of go-to self-care thing was to take a bath every weekend, Mm. Um, a nice hot bath with lavender, Epsom salts. Um, And I would keep my ears under the water because it was the only way that I could just sort of... Everything is muffled. You can't hear anything Mm. except for really your breathing and your heartbeat. And that was the way for me to just chill, right? And I think... I mean, self-care is important for, for everybody. But I think for mission-driven professionals, folks who are are personally and professionally just invested in a really important cause, it's really, really hard to turn your brain off. And then when you factor in animal care, mm. it's 24-7, 365 days a year. The animals that we care for live 24-hour lives. And so you're you're kind of always thinking about them, and you're always you're always thinking about them and what they're doing, and you're thinking about, um, you know, they they don't get a break, they don't you know, they don't go home, <laughs> they're they're there, mm-hmm. and we're continuing to care for them, and then you factor in uh, if you're if you're leading a whole team of people, uh, all of those people care deeply, deeply, deeply for the animals that they're they're taking care of. And so you start to worry about those people too. So self-care is a super important thing that I was not always great at. I would say I'm still not awesome at it, but I have come to absolutely recognize the importance of it.
0: Was there something that kind of shifted your... Um... You just mentioning that it wasn't something you've always, quote, been great at, which look, we all have had those things. But was there something that kind of changed that for you or made you recognize a need to kind of implement more care for yourself?
2: Yeah, uh, I think there were two two things, actually. Um, the first is that uh, I was in a, a an executive leadership development program. And so the program itself outlines all of these different things that you need to I, I don't, you, you need to do a lot of deep reflection to figure out what it is that you need to work on for your leadership journey, your leadership development. And it turns out for me, self-care was one of the things that I really needed to work on um, because we really can't show up for the people we're leading the way that we want mm. to, unless we're taking care of ourselves first, right? So, you know, people, you've people have often said you can't pour from an empty cup or you should put on your own oxygen mask before you help others and and those things absolutely ring true so i think that was one thing is that i was taking i was in the middle of this program when covid hit <laughs> and so on the one hand, it was kind of an amazing time to be a part of the program because there's a lot of, you know, support built in. You have your you have peer peer feedback partners and mentors and coaches and and whatnot, um, and you're doing all of this deep reflection and learning to build and uh, develop skills um, towards executive leadership. Um, but then with COVID and George Floyd's murder, you know, there were just and the, you know, political landscape and climate change. I mean, there's so many things that were sort of either coming to a head or piling on that uh, I think as an empathetic person, I, I, it's really hard to kind of walk through life and not be really, really really emotionally affected by all those things, all of the trauma that was happening around that time. And I mean, still happening. Um, And so I think between the the leadership program and identifying that self care was something i needed to work on and then literally being pushed to the point where i had to because i i was seeing myself not be able, not show up in the ways that i wanted to show up um i think those were the two sort of uh i don't want to say trigger points but the sort of two um inciting incidents you know or events things that that sort of led me to focus a little bit more on self care
1: you just mentioned taking an executive leadership course, and I was wondering if you could kind of walk us through your career path because you have a really interesting backstory to how you got into this field and you've had a lot of really cool jobs. so um, we'd love to just hear it from you um, straight from the yeah, giraffe's no. mouth, <laughs> straight from the giraffe's mouth, if you will. <laughs> sure what? actually, yeah before we get to that, what? What sound What sound does the giraffe make? Oh, my gosh. What does giraffe I, sound like? I love like. this question. Wait, that's I, like from so, a Cosby
0: Show episode too, Dory. It, I, is it? Yeah, they all go to Stevie Wonder's recording studio and Rudy makes the sound of a giraffe. I could be. What is the sound of a giraffe? I can't wh- like think. Well, of let's it. ask an expert versus okay, yes, Rudy well, expert.
2: So, uh, so it's funny because this this, this ma- makes me remember this story from an old job that I had where I was a wa- I was a wildlife educator, and you know when you're doing education, you're trying to be really engaging and get some audience participation and you know lead inquiry and all this other stuff, and so you'd always ask these kids like, oh, what kind of sound does a cow make? What kind of sound does a horse make, and and different animals that uh, that kids commonly know the kinds of noises they make, and then my punchline was always, and what sound does a giraffe make, and the kids would look at me like, what are you talking about? I have no idea, and I don't actually. I can't tell you what, I don't, I, we, I don't think we can hear the sounds that giraffes make. Um, Oh, wow. So if I were to, if I were to try to make a sound that a giraffe makes, it would be like munching on, on leaves Mm -hmm. and branches.
1: Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's so interesting. It's like, I never thought about the fact that like, we, yeah, we don't, We don't really like talk about the sounds that giraffes make. I've never heard a giraffe make a sound. Yeah, Uh, but then I was like, like, how do they communicate? You you know, yeah, vocal
2: cords. But no, I mean, different animals have different ways of communicating and 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 um, and seeing, and they have all all these different kinds of senses that we don't have, right? Some or or Mm. the ranges of their senses are different than ours. So, so sometimes when animals are communicating with one another, they 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 are making noises or they're having some sort of visual display, but we just don't sense it because our, our, you know, visual range or auditory range is, is different from theirs. So I think that giraffes, I I might not be correct on this, but I, I think that giraffes have a very low frequency sound that they can make and that travels a very long distance, but we don't hear it <clears throat> just like we don't hear okay. bats,
1: you know, chirping at the right. really, really high frequencies. Right. Okay. Yeah. Sorry for the sorry for the side tracking, but no, and, and now made I need me to make a that. note
2: too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Did Misha say the right thing about giraffe yeah. giraffe communication? Hmm. Um, okay. So my 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 career path uh, is. Yeah, it's a little bit of a weird one. Um, you know, I I always like to start telling the story by by going back to high school because oftentimes I find that kids in high school get so much pressure put on them to figure out what they're going to be, for, you know, what they want to do for a job and a career, which would inform then what kinds of schools they're going to look at and what they're going to major in and all these things. And the thing is, you think about high school kids and like they're still figuring out who they are. Let, I mean, some kids know, some kids know from an early, early age and, and they are gung ho, mm-hmm. but lots of kids don't know, you know? And so I think I was kind of one of those kids. I always had an interest in nature and, and animals. And, you know, you can go back to when I was a kid, kid. And, you know, I started an environmental club uh, in the neighborhood, which really just meant raking up leaves. So all of our parents were really perfectly happy to let us do that. But, You know, I always had an interest in those things, but I didn't think when I was in high school that that was what I was going to pursue for a career or for for college. So I applied to colleges as an English and drama major, um, and it turns out I don't have a talent for acting, (laughs) which I found out when I tried to audition for a play. Um, And I'm good at English, you know, but I it wasn't super exciting for me. Um, And the lucky thing is that I went to a liberal arts college in Connecticut. I went to Connecticut College and I took a zoology class as sort of just one of the general education requirements that I had to take. And it was just fascinating to actually be studying the science of, of animal biology. And so I switched majors. But I switched majors knowing that I was interested in this, but I didn't know what I was going to do. And so then I tried a couple of different things. I um, I worked out on a salt marsh and I did salt marsh research where I was walking in the salt marsh, getting cut up by the by the grasses and eaten alive by the mosquitoes and falling in super muddy, sulfury mud. I mean, oh, gosh, uh, super stinky um, and looking at teeny, tiny, tiny little invertebrates. Um, And then we take them back to the lab and we'd look at them under the microscope and we would have to identify, was it species A versus species B? And the only way to tell was to look at them under the microscope and count the number of segments on their antennae. And it was the difference between like seven segments and 11 segments. I mean, it was, you know, you were really, it was very, very detailed and you're hunched over a microscope and it was fascinating, but it wasn't for me. Um, and so then I was having a conversation with my grandmother, um, who lives in, in New York city. And she said, well, you know, I've got a friend who works at the Bronx zoo. You know, I could set, set up a conversation for you to have with him and maybe he can give you some advice. Cause I, you know, I don't know, maybe, you could, maybe you could do that. And I didn't know what, what do that meant. Um, but I got this conversation going with, um, as it turns out, her friend is a, world-renowned conservationist, George Schaller, Um, and she had actually traveled with him to China back in 1980, I believe. Um, uh, My grandmother's Chinese, and so my grandmother and great-aunt went with him to help with translation and and whatnot as he was working for the Wildlife Conservation Society, Um, and they just kind of kept in touch. And so he was chatting with me and telling me about conservation work, and it just it sort of like opened up all of these different ideas about for me that oh my gosh this is this is a career that like working to save wildlife is is something that people do um and he gave me really excellent advice which was if you want to get into conservation you have to recognize that it's 99% dealing with people and it's not about i mean it is about animals but it is primarily about people because conservation is a is a human created problem Mm. um and you have to the, the reason why there are you know issues between humans and wildlife is because humans need x y or z and we're competing for resources with these with these wild creatures um or you know resources being being anything but oftentimes space and anyway so um he, from there, I got an, uh, an internship working at the Bronx Zoo, taking care of the animals there and in, in the mammal department, um, finished up college and had a couple more internships and volunteer opportunities, um, working at Mystic Aquarium and the World Bird Sanctuary, kind of just getting, getting a sense for all the different sorts of things that might, uh, you know, being a zoology major could entail working in a zoo or an aquarium. And then went back to the Bronx Zoo after I graduated. Worked there for a few more years. Worked mostly with Southeast Asian rainforest animals, gorillas, and nocturnal animals. Um, and then I came on vacation to Los Angeles. And when I went back to New York, I just thought, "My goodness i I should move to L A. <laughs> it was so sunny and beautiful. And how it all uh, gets you know. us, right? The sunshine it, it just sucks really, us in. Really, really does. Um, and so I moved to LA. I didn't re- I didn't have a job at the time, but I, I, f- I kind of wanted to switch a little bit to talking to, to guests, talking to the public about animals, because every time I would walk between a habitat at the Bronx Zoo, you know, oftentimes zookeepers have a bucket of food or something like that, and you always get stopped, and you always, you know, people want to ask questions about well, what are you about to feed or tell me about this animal, and I loved doing that. I loved having the opportunity to tell. Tell these guests the different stories about the animals and then help them understand the connection between our animals and the stories that they're telling about their wild counterparts, Um, raising awareness about the different conservation threats and whatnot. And so when I moved to Los Angeles, I was really looking for opportunities to get more into environmental education or wildlife education. And so I found myself in a, in an organization doing just that where I was taking care of animals and then taking those animals to, um, school programs or, or private events and things like that. And it was, it was super fun uh and then an opportunity to to work to be sort of the founding member of a brand new living collections department came up so the california science center in los angeles was was building a whole new expansion to to the museum and that mu- that expansion was all about ecology so the interplay between living and non-living things in an ecosystem and so to help illustrate those different scientific concepts uh there there'd be some live animals and the science center had always had some live animals but this was going to be a, a much larger component of of their operations and so they needed a department to properly take care of those animals and so i became the first member of that department which meant that i wore all of the hats which was simultaneously completely overwhelming and really really exciting so i wrote job descriptions for my boss right and helped hire my boss uh you know i was buying Buckets and spoons for the for the staff who were going to be taking care of the animals. Um, I t- I made sure we had all of the right permits and the licenses and kept track of how many animals do we have and where where we where do we get them from where have we sent them et cetera. Um, and so I was there for fourteen years and had some per- some career progression through that, um, and ultimately for the last seven well. Not counting the last ten months that I've been here at the San Diego Zoo, um, for the last seven years of the time I was at the Science Center, I was the director of husbandry, so overseeing the the animal care side of things, and then went through that executive leadership program, um, which was a program through the Association of Zoos and Aquariums, uh, which is a international accrediting body uh, for. For zoos and aquariums um, to really ensure the, the highest, the gold standards for animal care, conservation, public education, et cetera. Um, so, I went through that program and found myself here at the San Diego Zoo. So, it's in many ways, you know, it's a lateral move. It's kind of the same job that I was doing at the California Science Center, but I went from having 21 staff members to having about 275 staff members wow. overseeing. What do we have? About 250 species at the Science Center to over 700 species here. Um, and in many, many ways, it's a very, very similar similar role. The scope is bigger. But I really, I really consider what, if I describe what my job is, it's about taking care of the people who take care of the animals. The staff who work here are just the most expert, People. They're so, so smart and they're so good at what they do. And they, I just am here to help support them, make it easier for them to be the experts that they are. So,
0: for, for us lay people, can you kind of explain the roles that zoos play or that your work plays in terms of animal conservation? I feel like there's a lot I still don't understand about
2: mm-hmm. zoos,
0: which zoos are having a
2: positive impact, which are not. Yes. Can you yes. help us kind of understand that? <laughs> yes, it's it's a really common question that that anybody who works in a zoo or aquarium might get. Um, you know, there's a lot of uh, and there's a lot of misinformation out there and a lot of sort of misunderstanding. But I will say that um for those folks who who feel a little uncomfortable about what zoos do, it's because they want to make sure that those animals are getting the best lives that they can have. And the great news is that's exactly what zoos and aquariums, what the professionals in zoos and aquariums want as well. We're just in a unique position to actually have a direct impact, and we have the schooling, the expertise, et cetera, the background to really ensure that the, those animals are experiencing great welfare. Um, and we do scientific assessments to make sure of those things to measure that. Um, I also think that sometimes we're battling the history of zoos. So the history of zoos goes back. A, a very long time, and really started as a as a way for very rich people to show off their wealth and goggle at go- goggle Google Ogle I don't know Google <laughs> Google animals like <laughs> something they're staring you know they're staring, yeah, they're staring, in, staring
0: in awkward and, awe
2: in awkward and awe yes yeah yeah at at these weird creatures that they had brought that it they had taken from some other place and and stuck in their backyard basically even if it was a giant backyard um but modern zoos um modern and i and i would say modern good zoos there is a distinction between good zoos and bad zoos um you know bad zoos are often roadside collections that have animals in poor conditions for bad reasons um and the association that i mentioned before the association of zoos and aquariums is sort of the gold standard he- um for ensuring that we're, we're providing amazing care to our animals. Our guests are coming away, having learned something we have, we have excellent measurable, evaluated education programs. We're actively contributing to conservation programs. Um, we're actively contributing to sort of academic knowledge about, and scientific knowledge about these creatures. And that information can then be applied to the wild counterparts out in nature. Um You know, we're really about connecting our guests, creating empathetic connections between our guests and our animals so that we can, so that those conservation stories can really, you know, sink in. And the hope is that we're creating stewards, more stewards for wildlife conservation. Um. And all of that said, you know the reason why we keep having to to say these things and answer these questions so many times is because we do need to do better at telling our stories, right? We need to tell do better at telling our both our conservation stories, which you know, especially here in California, the one of the most iconic conservation stories is the California condor, you know, and the San Diego Zoo and the Los Angeles Zoo were were part of bringing that that species back from the brink of extinction there were only 22 left in the wild um and they were brought into wow. to the zoos um and we created a breeding program this is all in partnership with the US Fish and Wildlife Service and um and now there's over 500 condors and more than half of them are out soaring over the sky in the skies of California um, so there's there's some really iconic conservation stories but there are loads of Slightly less, but n- still extremely successful conservation stories, slightly less icon- iconic, but still really, really inspiring. Um, and then we also need to tell our animal care and welfare stories better. I think historically zoos have kind of shied away from telling those stories. Um, but, you know, I can say here at the, I just mentioned how incredibly expert our staff are here at the San Diego Zoo. Uh, I can say that we are leading a shift. Um, towards outcome based husbandry and enriched experiences, a kind of away from sort of uh, providing a single item or some uh, like a one time uh, thing for our animals to um, be enriched by, and instead looking at multimodal, multisensory uh, experiences that span days, weeks, months. You know, we're looking at seasonality and really tying it to the animal's natural history. All with the intention and the outcomes that these animals are experiencing a wider range of natural behaviors. Um, and the reality, this is a very complicated answer, which is why it's hard to tell. But the other piece of it is that, you know, in an ideal world, uh, as much as I love the profession that I'm in, animals would be able to live in nature and be able to thrive in nature. But unfortunately, humans have created all of these problems that make it really, really hard for those for many, many species to to exist. And we're currently experiencing the sixth mass, mass extinction. So there's a natural sort of extinction rate that just that that exists that's always there. But our current extinction rate is hundreds or even thousands of times higher than what that natural extinction rate is. And it's due to human causes. Right, so the last mass extinction that probably everybody knows about was sixty five million years ago, so when the age of dinosaurs ended because of the asteroid and the climate blah, 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 blah right, that was the last mass extinction, and now we're experiencing another one, but it's caused by us and so zoo modern good accredited zoos are helping to you know I wouldn't say that we're uh, if some 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 people think of us as arcs, I wouldn't say we're that's that's not that's too simple of an answer. There are lots of different facets to what good modern accredited zoos are doing to try to help stem some of that extinction loss um, and the the loss of all this unbelievable biodiversity. So we're just going to take a short
1: break and we will be right back.
0: You know we have been delving more and more into the topic of our skin as we get older.
1: Okay, we're back. I have to just
0: ask a question because I f- you <laughs> you touched on two things that I think like must be a really intense part of your job, which is like the the California condor, right? Like what an amazing feat to bring them back from the edge of extinction. But then there's also so much doom and gloom in this conversation mm-hmm. about conservation and and I think it goes hand in hand with climate change um, mm-hmm. and just the human destruction of the planet. So uh, what's the hardest, most challenging part of this job? Like when you're feeling down, when you're looking at some of these stats and you're like, oh my God, Hmm. how do you, how how do you, how are you able to like, what do you do when you feel that way? Like, is there something that you remind yourself of that changes your perception, do you take a break from the work for a, a beat or like take an afternoon off? Like, what is it like yeah. on those harder days?
2: Yeah. You know, I mean, I think, I think you, it, it'd be pretty hard to be in this profession if, if you only focus on the doom and gloom. And, and we, when we, when we talk about these different, um these different issues, we try not to, we try not to present it that in such a way um, because it can be really, really disheartening. But uh, sometimes, sometimes days get hard, you know, for all different kinds of reasons. And then I take a bath. No, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I do some sort of self-care routine. Sometimes yeah. it's just, yeah, just taking a beat and, and reminding myself that the work that we're doing really does matter. Um, we really are having an impact, right? And you can look at some of these incredible conservation stories to know that, um, you know, what we're doing is really, really is making a difference. Um, You know, I remember when I was a kid, uh, I I would go on these hikes with my dad and we lived in we lived in Connecticut. And um, one of our favorite places to go hiking was this um, state park called Sleeping Giant. And it was kind of like from far away, kind of looked like a big person lying down. And we'd always hike up to the guy's nose. And, you know, anyway, Um, it was really it was a really cool place. And I remember one time seeing an osprey, which is a, a bird of prey and at the time they're they're much more common now uh but at the time it was a really rare thing to see an osprey and i remember my dad told me to be quiet and he's like you know the more the quieter you are the more you'll see and that was probably just to keep me quiet i mean it is true the quieter you are the more nature and critters you will see but he was probably trying to just keep me from jib- jibber-jabbering and we were sitting there really quietly watching this incredibly beautiful bird it was perched up in the tree. It had captured, it, you know, it had caught a caught a fish and was eating this fish. Um, and I remember, I know, how, I knew at the time even how special it was to see that animal. Mm-hmm. And now, this is you know, forty years later. Well, you not know, quite forty years, um, but it, you know, now I can I see osprey not all over the place, but there, it's not rare to see an osprey, and. That is due to all of this different conservation work. It's not just zoos are doing it, right? It's it's all those different partnerships and different organizations that are doing this this work. But the work matters and it does make a difference. And so I I remind myself of those sorts of you know stories and those sorts of achievements, um, and remember to just take care of
1: myself. <laughs> um, Misha, I'm wondering you know, as, as you're talking, I know you are a board member of the minorities in aquarium and zoo sciences. And I'm wondering how do you make sure that zoos um, and science centers and, you know, kind of other places like this remain or become more accessible to diverse Mm -hmm. populations? Oh, I almost feel like that's a bigger question. (laughs)
2: But Uh, No, it's, it's really, it's really important. I'm glad to have the opportunity to chat a little bit about that. Um, You know, there has been uh, a lot of talk around um, increasing the diversity of our workforces, especially in the sciences, especially in animal care positions within the zoo zoo and aquarium world um, for decades. Um, But for better or worse, you know, the, the sort of Racial, you know, and uh, reckoning that happened after George Floyd was murdered, I think, really spurred a lot of people to um, to take meaningful action. Um, and actually, part of that executive leadership program that I was I was in at that time, um, one of the uh, we we had our whole cohort, and then we split into two groups. And the group that I was in focused on a project that tried to. Remove some of the perceived barriers that zoo and aquarium professionals and leaders, especially, might might have seen as to you know just get started, just do something, just you know look at your job descriptions, look at your internal culture, look at you know fill in the blank. Just do something because something is better than nothing. And no matter where you're starting from, we all have something more we can do. Whether you're really you've been doing this work for a really long time and you're really advanced in in your thinking and your systems and whatnot um there's still more you can do and so uh so that was that sort of that sort that work that project was happening at the same time that uh to um Two groups in particular, sort of, they formed uh, around that time um, in the zoo and aquarium world. One was MIAS, My- Minorities in Aquarium and Zoo Sciences. And the other was the Association of Minority Zoo and Aquarium Professionals. And so they're two different organizations that um, sort of were a little bit like um, uh, grassroots grassroots uh, organizing Um Individual staff members who sort of came together and created these organizations. So AMZAP is is a lot about connecting, creating, creating a network, right, um, to connect minorities in these professions. And there's sort of an um, like a mentor program to connect younger or early earlier uh, career professionals with with folks who look like them in, in the profession, right. And can, can understand because of their own lived experiences, you know, what, what that person might be experiencing. And then my is a little bit broader because it is beyond just zoos and aquariums, but it is also a little bit more focused in that it's specifically about scientific careers. So whereas AMZAP is, a, is, you know, if you're in marketing or education or, or film, you know, all of the different um, functions that, that are in zoos and aquariums, and you identify as a minority, then, you know, AMZAP might, might be best for you. But MIAS is also really great for the, for those of us who are in science related careers, um, Having to do with zoos and aquariums, and so Mayas is able to raise money. The, the main way that we help support minorities in this profession is by raising money to help fund opportunities to send them to conferences, or professional development courses, or or what have you. And so um, that has been really wonderful to be a part of a part of well, both of those groups, but to sit on the board of of Mayas and really help. Um, steer the direction that we're going and create uh, the pro- some of the professional development opportunities that um, that that we offer. Uh, so I was I just finished a service a six year service of the Aza the Association of Zoos and Aquariums Professional Development Committee. So I was the chair of that committee, and so now I'm taking that experience that I had from Aza with the Professional Development Committee and applying it to the professional development committee for my so that's those are what two different organizations are doing but as that's a, amazing yeah as a community though I'll, I'll say you know i think there's a lot of there's a lot of opportunity a lot of work a lot of work that mm-hmm. we need to do mm-hmm. but i think that people are um are motivated and there are so many resources out there uh that have be- because they've they've always been there but i think people are more aware of them now so, I feel like I'm never going to get
0: to ask somebody in your position this question again. What's the coolest animal slash your favorite animal?
2: Okay, so I I really don't know how to answer this question except for I realized probably um, seven years ago or so that birds in general I, I have a tendency to I have an affinity mm. for birds, and but I can't tell you what. What bird in particular? Like, I think raptors are really, really cool. And of the raptors, I think falcons and owls, maybe. But, man, it's really hard. And then I start to learn about other types of birds, and I think they're really fascinating. But then I think about, you know, lorises. I think they're really cool. And okapi are neat. And, I mean, there's so many animals that are so fascinating. And there's so much we can learn from them. And I mean, and it just makes me like marvel at the world. All of these different incredible, incredible animals um, just gives me such an appreciation for the natural world. So it's really hard to pick one. (laughs) But
0: combined, they're all pretty amazing. I mean, I feel like that's a very, we can all agree
2: yeah. In fact, I even, I was challenging myself to come up with a reason to like mosquitoes at one point. Mm. Did you um, find one? Well, t- a lot of animals eat them and without mosquitoes, <laughs> these animals wouldn't have food. There we go. So that was the only thing I could come up with because otherwise they're like a major disease spreader and, you know, they make me itchy, but, um, but, but the food webs rely on them. So, mm. okay.
1: So <laughs> We right. have to let them stay. I mean, they're everywhere in Los Angeles now, so. Oh, no. Um, Yeah. Well, Misha, this was so fun to get to talk to you. I hope to get to the San Diego Zoo at some point soon. My my son is a big animal lover, so he always loves going to the zoo. Um, Oh, it's
2: such a fun place to go. Oh, you know, when you were saying before, too, like when you're having a hard day and what do you do? You know, another thing to do here is just go for a walk. You just go for a walk, mm. and this this yeah. zoo is also an incredible botanical garden. I think we actually have way more plants than we have animals, uh, oh, both from wow. a species perspective and and number of specimens. And our horticulture team is just astounding. You know, they have all these all these um, plants GIS tagged so they can keep track of them. But Ooh. you just go for a walk around the zoo, and it's like ah, your worries just melt away.
1: Ah. <laughs> My son yeah. is also obsessed with plants, so it sounds like we're definitely going to have to. You've got to go to the zoo. Yes, come, come, yeah. come visit. <laughs> um, Misha, where can our listeners find you? Are are you on social media? Um, where can they kind of follow along with you and the zoo and et cetera? Sure. I mean, I think probably the best
2: place to, to point to, point people to for me is probably LinkedIn. Mm. Um, and so, uh, My last name is M or my name is M-I-S-H-A and then my last name is B-O-D-Y. And so it's just LinkedIn.com slash Misha Bodhi I think. I don't know. something like that. But I'm also probably there's only one Misha Bodhi out there. So it's probably not too hard to Google me. Um, That's probably the easiest place to find me uh, on on social media things. And then for the zoo, I would say go to the San San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance.org. Did I get that right? Or it might be just SDZWA? San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance.org. dot org. And that is our full organization, which runs both the zoo and the San Diego Zoo Safari Park, which is up the street like 30 miles in Escondido, um, as well as all of our conservation field programs.
1: Very cool. It's a big organization. Well, thank you again. (laughs) Thank you, Misha.
2: Absolutely. Thank you. I really, really
0: loved getting to talk to her. You know know what also I think is so unique about her journey? What? Is she has the job that we all wanted as children. Totally. Like Misha and people in her field and then also marine biologists. Like we all thought we were going to be marine biologists, right? Not really knowing what that meant.
1: My friend, Sarah, I remember my friend, Sarah, was the first one who told me she wanted to be a marine biologist and she wanted to visit the Galapagos Islands. And I had like never heard of the Galapagos Islands. And then I was like, that sounds cool. <laughs> like, you know, it's just, I, but I remember that. It's so funny you say that. I remember that so distinctly. Right? I really had no idea like what that meant. And then she was so passionate about it. She's not a marine biologist today, sadly.
0: I I really admire the people who are. I just think it's so cool. Well, Dory, look, we really talked about this kind of general fitness journey that you have been on up top, which you have named intuitive exercising, which I love. And that was your intention last week to kind of continue your focus on it, which I don't want to speak out of turn here, but it sounds like you did it.
1: Yeah, I mean I think I did. Um it's funny. I thought I had found a class in my gym that I really liked and it was like a strength class. And then the last one I went to, I realized this instructor's music is so bad. Oh no. That I just
0: Was it I all Hootie think, and the Blowfish?
1: No, it was like it was like like I can't I don't even know what the what the what the word like industrial like I it was it was oh, like, like
0: house music
1: kind of yeah but like like heavy like mm. you know like oh we're gonna be pumping iron kind of thing and I was like what is this mm-hmm. this is not mm-hmm. my vibe no right thanks. now um actually a couple people walked out of the class and like, <gasps> I wonder if it was wow. because of the music one person walked out like three minutes in and then one person left like 15 minutes before the end but I feel like that's kind of rare so like I don't know. So I'm going to try a couple of different classes this week because it's it's a bummer, though, because I actually think the exercises in this class are good. I just don't think she's like a great instructor and her music is tragic. So um, but I feel like it's also rude as a as a class goer to be like, have you thought about changing your music? you know?
0: Yeah. I mean, I I guess you, yes. It's like when people, (laughs) yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't know if it's rude. I think you can just say, I love your class, but I would, sometimes the music is is too intense for me or
1: something. Well, that's a good way of framing it, Kate. See, you're so good at this. Um, Yeah. So I'm going to continue on this intuitive exercise journey Um, it's just been, yeah, it's been, it's been fun. And like, I'm not as sore as I was last week after the class. So like that Mm. was fun anyway. So this week, Kate, this, this intention requires a bit of backstory. Um, my husband's car has been in the shop for three weeks and will be in the shop for the foreseeable future. And... We, like, didn't rent another car. Like, we were just like, we don't really need two cars. And, like, the fact is, we don't really need two cars. Like, we kind of do. There's, like, some days where it's like, oh, we could use another car. But, like, Mm -hmm. by and large, it's fine. And so, my intention this week Mm -hmm. is to kind of, like, think more creatively about my transportation Mm -hmm. in general. And even when his car gets back from the shop, like, what can I take from what I've been doing and like apply it to the rest of my life because I am really trying to think about like my carbon footprint and all that kind of stuff.
0: Okay. All right, Dory. I like this. Do you think you could ever be a one
1: car family? I do. Mm -hmm. I do because partly because we live in a very walkable part of LA. So like Mm -hmm. I walk my son to school. I can walk to the grocery store. I can walk to the coffee shop. I can walk to the gym. Like there's a lot I can walk to, which is not the case in a lot of Los Angeles. So like that's, that's number one. Number two is I have a good friend who lives down the street who lends me her car whenever I need it. Oh, well, there you go. Which is also like, I will say, like, I feel like this should be more of like a thing. Like when, you know, I feel like Lyft and Uber like corrupted the word ride share, (laughs) but it's like car share should be more of a thing. Like people should be like sharing cars more because, you know, like my car sits like when Matt and I aren't sharing a car, my car sits in the driveway a lot. But someone else yeah. could be using it, and then not have to get their own car. You know what I mean? So, like, very good point. Yes, I think there is like that's that's also something that I'm just like thinking about. Like at first, I was like, well, that sounds that sounds silly to say, like, well, I could just borrow my friend's car. But they're like, actually, no, it's not silly to say, like, I could just borrow my friend's car. Like that that should be what people do. So, like, I think that's, that's great. Another... That's a very good point, Dory. I like this. Well, thank you, Kate. So I don't know. I I I don't know if we will realistically ever be a one car family, but I think I'm seeing how it could be possible. Um, especially since Matt's not really working outside of the house right now. If he was gone if he were gone from like 6 a.m. to eight p.m. like he was when he was working on set, I don't actually think it would be realistic unless he yeah, did not drive fair. to work. Um anyway, Kate. Mhm. How did your self-reflection go?
0: Oh, I'm still reflecting. I'm sure this is all tied into old Kate just having a lot of questions about life.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting that you that you put this as your intention and then you had this whole very reflective experience with the marathon.
0: You know, maybe that is the universe. That is what the universe is doing for me. Mm-hmm. Just putting things just putting things in my way to think about. Mm. I don't know. Still thinking about it. But this week, I've got a very basic intention, which is to drink more tea. Ooh. It's cold now here in LA. Drinking too much coffee kind of gives me heartburn. But today I had some jasmine green tea and I was like, oh yeah, I'm back. I'm back on the tea train. So I
1: love this. I
0: like tea. I like an herbal tea. I like a bedtime tea. I like a a a, a black tea. So, mm-hmm. just gonna dip back into tea. And you know what? Also, I'm happy to dip into tea, the gossip kind, too, as part of my <laughs> intention. So, if anyone has any tea they want to share, oh gosh, Love for this that. week, let me know. All right. Well, listen, Dory. It's been fun. Uh, and now it's time to say that Forever 35 is hosted and produced by Doris Schaffer and Kate Spencer. And it's produced and edited by Sam Junio. And Sammy Reed is our project manager and our network partners, Acast. And we thank you for listening. Have a great day.